Welcome to the Bowen Christian Family Centre podcast channel. You're about to hear a message recorded at one of our Sunday gatherings. We pray you are blessed and enjoy this inspiring message. So my message this morning is called, Who You Are. And I'm going to pray and then I'm going to preach the rest of the message. If you'd like to turn to Ephesians 1. Father, we just thank you that you are here. We thank you, you love us. We thank you, you call us your children and that you're with us always. We just, I just pray this morning that you'd use me, that you'd get all the glory, Lord God, and that as you've spoken to me, you'd speak, speak through me, Lord God, and that your word would go into people's hearts and bring change for good, long-lasting change. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm con- so this... Last couple of months, we've been speaking about confidence in Christ. And I'm convinced one of the most important things about having confidence in Christ is knowing who we are in God. I'd like to read to you at the start of Ephesians 1. It says these words. Ephesians 1 verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. When I read this, I realized something. that some people, some of us, put our confidence in what we do, our calling. Whether we're called to be pastors, whether we're called to be business people, whether we're called to be CEOs, whether we're called to be minors, supervisors, train drivers, mums, dads, husbands, wives... We can get a confidence from that. And Paul says, when he, when he writes this, he says, this is what I am. But we can't get our confidence from what we are. We need to get our confidence from who we are. When my mum and dad got married, I was six years old. And, and with it, I had to change my last name. So my last name was easy. It was Wills before mum and dad got married. That's easy to spell. That's, so I'm six years old. Wills is just W, I, two L's and an S. Then I get married and my name changes to Venados. Who knows at six years old, when you're flat out spelling, writing on everything Venados becomes really hard. So I'm writing V, E, R, and no, mum would go, no, that's wrong. It's V-E-N. Oh, okay. V-E-N-R. No, you've got to put an A in there. Okay, so V-E-R. No, it's V-E-N. Mum would get so frustrated, but it's a hard name to spell. But with a change of last name came a change of identity. With a change of dad's came a change of my identity. And in our life, when we become Christians, when we become, when we say, when we accept Jesus into our life, we say, Jesus be my Lord and my Savior, with it becomes an identity change because our dad has changed. We go from being in the world to being children of God. Our God in heaven becomes dad. And with it, my identity has changed. And Paul says that in Ephesians 1. That's what Ephesians 1 is. The start of Ephesians 1 is Paul telling Christians who we are in God. And the really cool thing about it is if you read Ephesians 1, uh, biblical scholars say it wasn't written to Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. If you you opened up your phone, 
and look at the Bible on your phone, if you press the little thing that looks like a word bubble, some, on mine it was there and I pressed it and it says, some manuscripts don't have Ephesus. And what they say is it was actually a circular letter. In other words, it went to every church and what happened was the church that would read it out actually would put the name of their church in there. So it could have been the church in Ephesus, could have been the church in Corinth, could have been the church in LA, could have been the church in New York. Not really because it didn't exist back then, but it could have been the church in Bowen. Because in other words, it's not just, Paul isn't just saying it to the church in Ephesus, he's saying to every Christian in the whole world, everybody had been saved at that time, he says, this is who you are in God now. And so I want to read to you Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 5. It says these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with, the ple- with his pleasure and will. What a powerful few verses. What a powerful few verses. All in these just three verses explains who we are in God. And so this morning, I'd like to share with you who we are in God from these verses. I've got five quick points, and I'd encourage you to write them down. Write them down so that you can read them later on and and, and just remind yourself who you are in God. And the first one is this. We are blessed with every spiritual blessings. One three says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When Renee and I die, I hope it's we're both 85 years old. Well, no, not really. I hope we're 110. I don't want to die too soon. I've still got heaps to do. But when we pass away, we plan to leave an inheritance for our son. We plan to leave him a house. We plan to leave him some money. We plan to leave him some things. That is my heart as a dad. That's Renee's heart as a mom. We want to leave our kid with something great. And maybe we might have more kids than just Hezekiah, but Renee's not keen on that, but hey, I move on. But we want to leave him stuff. But the thing is, he won't have to wait just until we die to get stuff from us. Right now, we feed him. So he never has to worry about whether he's going to go hungry or not. We clothe him. We buy him gifts because we love him and we want to show him. Everything he needs, everything that he'll need for his life, we will want to provide for him and teach him how to provide for himself. My pop, he's getting a bit older, and he's got a few medical issues and health issues going on in his life. And he invited me over last time we were in Ingham. He said, come over, I've got something to give you. And it was real sad because he was talking as though, you know, he felt like he didn't have much longer to go. And he says, hey, I want you to have this football. And he handed me this football. And it had, I think it was from, it's either from the 1988 team, which is the Broncos' first ever year in the competition, or it was from the 92 team when they won the grand final. I'm not sure, but it had every player's signature on the football. He said, I want you to have this. 
this is yours. And it felt real good. And, and then I looked in the, and I said to Pop, Pop, those wine things there with all the, with Artie Beetson and all the other immortals on them, that's, if you know rugby league, there's, there's immortals, they're the greatest in the game. They've got all the pictures on them. He goes, yeah, no, nah, that's for your cousin Jade. Cool. He's giving his inheritance to his grandkids. Uh, to be honest with you, for years I had my eye on them. Not that I would drink them, but they're worth a lot of money. That's what, we, that's what God has done for us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's got stuff for us. When I got saved, the moment I became a Christian, God gave me everything. He, he, he gave me an inheritance. He gave me blessing. He gave me everything I'd ever need to fulfill the call that God placed on my life. Every single thing that we have, he's given us right now, whatever you need. But the thing that happens is I don't actually access them until God reveals them to me and I choose, you know what, I'm going to take them by faith. When I was a youth pastor, God had blessing for me there. He gave us people, he gave us leaders, he gave us finance, he gave me everything I need to fulfill that call. As a chaplain, he gave me everything I need to fulfill that call. As, a, as, as an employment worker, he gave me everything I need to do that call on my life. Now as a youth worker, I, I, I'm never short of the resources that I need in order to do what God's called me to do there. God blesses me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, and he's done the same for you. He's not a regarder of persons. We're all blessed. The, so, in this verse, the word blessing here is the word eulogy, which means to speak well of someone. So for me, I, I've had the opportunity to do two eulogies now, which was a huge honor. It meant a lot to me to be able to do these two eulogies that was us. But in a eulogy, you always speak about the good things that someone's done and the, and the happy times that we've shared. And so what it's basically saying is here in this verse is that God has spoken good things about you. He's spoken great things over your life. He spoke blessings over you. So he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So in, in other words, he might be talking to Dylan and he'd go, hey, Dylan, you're a great young man. You're a great leader. You're good looking. You're going to have good hair. You're you're going to be blessed. You're going to have a great ministry. You're going to have a great life. He's spoken great blessings. Dylan, he's he, uh, sorry, Bo. God's going to speak over Bo, and God's spoken over Bo. You know, you're going to be a great young man. God's going to use you to heal people. God's going to use you to change lives. God's going to use you to walk into areas that other people can't. For Cal, God's spoken great things over Cal's life. You're going to be a man that other people are drawn to. You're going to be a great guy. You're, you're going to shine in your workplace. I'm going to use you in that. Jenny, you're a generous person. You're a loving person. You're a caring person. Anyone, everyone here, God's spoken great words over our life and blessing it and hope because God's got good plans for you not to harm you but to prosper you to give you a great future I want to read to you Joshua chapter 19 verse 9 it says this and what's happening here is they've gone into Israel and they've taken over, well, at that time it was called Canaan, and they've walked into Canaan, and they've taken it all over, and now it's time for Joshua to start divvying up the land, and he's already given Joshua land, and now, now he's starting to give everybody, oh, sorry, he's already given Judah land, which is one of the tribes of Israel, one of Jacob's sons, and now he's giving everybody else their land as well. And this is what it says. The inheritance of the Simeonites 
was taken from the share of Judah, because Judah's portion was more than they needed. So the Simeonites received their inheritance within the territory of Judah. This shows the nature of God. He gave Judah more than they needed. How cool is that? That's a great thing, I think, to remember about our God. He's given us more than we need. And right now in your life, you might not feel like it. You feel like you might be struggling week to week. But the truth is that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That's the truth. And then why does he give us more than we need? Because he wants us to bless other people. Judah, which, which means praise, and it was the leadership tribe. And there's a whole, whole message in that that I've written down. But, but Judah... God gave them more than they need so they could bless the other tribe. God gave you more than you need so you could bless your neighbor, so you could bless your friend at work, so you could bless your family. That's why he blesses us. He's blessed us with everything we need. Some of the Bible verses I love is is Psalm 16. Psalm 16 says these words, The boundary lines have fallen for me in good places. So my boundary... It's fallen for me in good places, not in close, not to hedge me in to feel like I'm stuck, but he's hedged me in in good places. Psalm 18, one of my, my, probably my favorite psalm says these words, he stands me up on a wide open field. So he stands me up in a place that's just got, it's wide open. There's no... As far as you I can see, there's nothing stopping me from what God's called me to do. What a great thought. Another place it says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So whatever resource you need, God's got it. Whatever you're struggling with right now, God's got the answer for you. The second thing is this. But before I move on to the second thing, how much confidence does that give you in Jesus? To know that that I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. Number two, you are chosen. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, for he chose us. I used to have this dream when I was watching State of Origin. I had this dream, I'd be sitting there, and I had this dream that when I grew up, the Queensland team, they'd be out there training and someone would get injured. And I'd be in the crowd watching my first ever State of Origin game. And the coach would run up to the sideline, he'd look in the crowd and he'd go, we need someone to play for Queensland. And I'd be there, I'd put my hand up. He said, and they'd look, because of course, there'd be hundreds of hands go up because everyone wants to play for Queensland. If it was New South Wales, every hand would be down, but hey. We're looking for someone, and then he said, you there, come on down. And I'd come down, and I'd lace on my boots. I'd probably have to borrow somebody's that were probably two sizes too big for me. I'd run onto the field, and I'd, I'd set up the winning try, or I'd kick the winning goal or something. I'd be a hero, and my career had started. But I think this is a great image of our Father God in our life. He chose us out of the crowd. He picked you out of the crowd. He looked at you and he said, I want you. I want you. 
with all your brokenness, with all your hurt, with all your messed upness, with all the ugly stuff that's gone on in your life, with all the stuff you've done, I want you. I care so much for you. I love the picture. God's in heaven. It says, before God formed us in our mother's womb, he knew us. So he's up there in heaven. He's thinking about Renee and he's going, oh, she's going to look like this. She's going to do that. Her nature's going to be, man, she's awesome. I want one of them. I'm going to make her. Same with everybody else in this room. Tony, same thing. Man, he's going to be a great worker. He's going to, oh, he's going to be, look like this. He's going to have this kind of personality. He's, oh, man, I can't wait. I'm going to make him because I want one of those. I want that. Pastor Dolph is going to be a great man. He's going to be wise and he'll lose his hair in later life, but that's okay. I want one of them. I can't say much for too much longer because mine's gone too. I just saw on the video, it had a photo of me from the back praising. I could see I'm losing hair, so I shouldn't throw too many stones in glass houses. But God chose you. Were you growing up when you were a kid? And I don't know, for me, when I was in high school, they'd pick sporting teams. So you'd have a class in HPE, and they'd pick two captains. They're normally the most popular guys in the class or the most athletic, and they'd be standing there, and they'd start to call out the teams, and they'd go, I want, I want Jeremy, because he's tall, and we're playing basketball. He, he can dunk it, he told me. So we'll take Jeremy. And uh, the other guy would come, and say, oh, I want Dylan. And then the next guy, oh, I want Mark. And then I want Uncle Daryl. And, t- and the teams would just start getting picked. And, and you're one of those kids who, who's sitting there on the, on the thing going, oh, no, I'm going to get picked last again. How embarrassing is this? And you're just hoping that you're like second or third last and you don't have the embarrassment of being the last person picked. Anyone else ever had that? Yeah, we've got a few people. The rest of you are all blessed and can play sport. And we're popular at school. And so that happens to us. And we can think that that's how God is in our life, that he took us just because he had to. We were the leftover. We were the one that nobody else wanted. So I said, oh, gee, I guess I better take you. I made you, I guess. So now I'm stuck with you. So come on over. But God's not like that. He wanted you. He chose you. He picked you out of the crowd. You were always the first person picked on his team. So when he, imagine when he's picking the team. I'll take, because he's got to say all the names at once. Well, that's, that's true. In my life, big team, yes, big team. So in my life, I struggled with rejection a lot, okay, because um, when, you know the story, when mum found out she was pregnant, dad left. So I had this thing in my life, all my life, where there was just this rejection hanging over me. It, 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 I, I would fear it. I had a few people abandoning me. And, and, you know, rejection was a big thing for me. I wouldn't act in I'd act any way I could as long as you wouldn't reject me. I did things I know were wrong because I wanted to be part of the crowd. I wanted to be accepted. And I always thought whether I was asked to lead something or asked to do something, even as a Christian, I still had in the back of my head and in, and in my heart that, you know what, people are just going to leave me. They'll abandon me. I'll have nobody left. And the thing that changed it was... Hearing this and, and knowing that the, in Ephesians, God says that he chose us. He chose me. So the truth is, if someone rejects you, they're wrong. 
Because God has chosen you. God has accepted you. So if everybody else rejects you, the truth is you're chosen. Why don't you start to say that in your life? You know what? I'm chosen. Look in the mirror every morning when you get up. Instead of looking at how much hair you're losing and, oh, I don't like my nose or, man, I still can't grow a beard. Look in the mirror and say, God, I thank you. You've chosen me. I'm picked out of the crowd by you. And, you know, we can be in relationships. We can be husband and wife, a mum or dad, the leader in a workplace. And that fear of rejection can affect our whole relationships because we're always expecting rejection and abandonment. And what, what turns those relationships around is, God, you've chosen me. I trust you. The truth is I won't be rejected. I thank you, God. And it changes how we act. It changes who we are. It changes everything. And it gives us confidence in Christ knowing we're chosen. The third thing is this. You are holy and blameless. Blameless. So the first part says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. But the next part says, to be holy and blameless in his sight. I think that's a great thing that God, when God looks down on us, he sees someone who's holy and blameless. And the reason why is he that was without sin took our sin on the cross so that we who had sinned could be as though we'd never sinned. So that he who was blameless died so that we who had blame could become blameless and holy in his sight. Jesus, when he looks down at me, he sees someone who is as holy and as blameless as Jesus was. That's a good thought, isn't it? That, because we all do things that are wrong still, don't we? Well, I do sometimes. And the reality is, I'm holy and blameless in Jesus. It's the truth. And it changes the way we walk and the way we carry ourselves. I'm holy and blameless. Now, it doesn't give me license to just keep mucking up because God calls us holy and blameless and then we become it. He says, you're holy and blameless. That's how I see you. But then I become it. And I sin less and I do, I do selfish things less and less as I, as I grow closer and closer to him. And I just want to break that up into two parts. So the first part, it says, I want to do blameless before holy, but it says blameless. Could you imagine growing up in Jesus' house? If you're James or Jude, his brothers, and Mary and Joseph have just been out at synagogue or they've been out somewhere partying with their friends and they come home and they walk into the door and there's a massive mess in the house. And Mary and Joseph, okay, who made the mess? And Jude and James go, it was Jesus. Because you know, brother's always trying to blame someone else. It was Jesus. You know he can't do anything wrong, guys. It can't have been Jesus. It must have been you. Mary goes to the cookie jar, opens it up. There's none left. Okay, who ate all the cookies? Jude and James point to, it was Jesus. Now, guys, you know he can't be selfish. He's God. God isn't selfish. He wouldn't have done that. He would have left you some cookies. They would never have been able to win because Jesus was just so good. He was blameless. He'd never done anything wrong. It would have been a terrible house to live in. And 
at my house, it was kind of like that, but in reverse. I was the oldest brother. So my sister and brother, they could do no wrong, and I did everything wrong. Mom, they shouldn't have done that. Yeah, but you're the oldest. You should know better. Here's one. When, when, my, when I left home, before I'd left home, uh, my room was always a mess. I shared it with my brother. It was, it was a, like a pigsty. I just, but no, my clothes, my clothes, not my clothes, my brother's clothes would be everywhere. The toys would be everywhere. And mum had said, Jason, clean this up. But mum, I didn't make any of the mess. It's all Nathan. Gee, well, you still got to clean it up. You're the oldest. Now, when I left home, mum saw me about three months later and we were talking. She said, you know what? Since you left home, Jason, that room has been spotless. It is in immaculate condition. There's never anything on the floor. Everything's packed where it's supposed to be. All right, you caught me out. It was me. It was terrible. But it's like that with us. We're blameless. So when Satan goes up and he says to God, look what he did. God says, no, no, I can't see that because of Jesus. He always points Satan to Jesus. He says, oh, look, he lied. Yeah, yeah, Satan, but Jesus. He's blameless because of Jesus. When our guilt and everything comes on us because of the stuff we've done in our past, the truth is that God says, Jesus covered it. It's covered. It's taken care of. Never again. The second, the, the next part of this is this. Holy. See, the word in here is the, the Greek translation of the word hagios. And what this, they think, probably means is the idea of a personal and special relationship set apart with God. So, you know, you get that picture of a holy man. He's just good and he, he has a close relationship with God. It's a picture you get when you think of a holy man. And, and I love that picture that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I are close to God. We're close. There's nothing separating us from God anymore because of Jesus. And I used to read the Bible, and you know when you got Peter, James, and John, and you look at it and you used to go, what, why did God, why did Jesus always pick those three people to hang out with him and not the other nine? You have a look. When he was transfigured on the mountain, he became as white as lightning, as white as the sun, as bright as the sun. Who was with him? Peter, James, and John. Then when he brings someone else back from the dead, he shuts everyone out, but he has inside there, he has Peter, James, and John. Then when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and everything's breaking down, he's about to die, he's, he's scared, he's, he's saying to God, let this pass cup from me, but not your will be done, but mine. Who'd he take with him into the garden? He took Peter, James, and John. I used to always think it was because of calling. They're going to be the ones that change the world. But then I realized one day, James dies pretty quick. In Acts, James comes along, his head's chopped off, so it can't be that. And then I realized one day it's because they wanted intimacy with God. They wanted intimacy with Jesus. The other guys were happy just hanging around with Jesus, but those three wanted intimacy with Jesus. They want to be their friends. You see the picture in the Last Supper. John's got his head on, his, on God's chest, on Jesus' chest. There's intimacy with God. You and I can have that. It's ours right now. We just got to want it. Number, the next one is this. Number four, you are God's child. Ephesians 1.5 says this, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure 
and will. We're adopted into God's family. And I heard this really good story. There was, a, there was this guy whose friend was adopted. And he said to him one day, he said, what's it like to be adopted? And this kid said, man, it's awesome. He was expecting him to say, you know, it's not great. But he said, man, it's awesome being adopted because the reality is your parents had to have you. My parents chose me. What a great way to look at it. It's, a, it's the same thing with God. He adopted us because he wants us. He wanted to be with us. And the cool thing is we have access to God anytime we like. So my son has a choir. Anytime he wants to hang out with me, he'll be able to as we grow up. He'll be the one who'll be able to walk into my room middle of the night, wake me up to hang out with me. Or he's got a problem. He'll be the one who can turn on the TV and watch my TV. He'll be the one who can spend my money. He'll have access to me that nobody else can because he's my son. Just... He'll be able to hang out anytime he likes. Just last night, I was having dinner at Hannah's birthday for her 18th. And I was talking to Dylan. And we were hanging out. And my son went, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I stopped halfway through the conversation. I said, hey, son. I went back, sorry, mate. Sorry. My son called my name. I had to answer. Same with God. We have access to God anytime we like. And he answers. Because we're his kids. We're his children. Because of God, we get some really cool experiences. God wants you to have a great experience in your life. I love football. So one time, one of my mates who taught at my high school, he was a referee and he refereed Queensland Cup. And that day he was going to referee in Townsville Dairy Farmers Stadium. And I'd never been in there before. And he came up to me and said, Jason, would you like to be the water boy for me as I referee a game on, the, on a Dairy Farmers before the NRL match? I said, yep. So I went there and I got to run into, I got to be in the, in the dressing sheds where the referees were. I got to see the players in their dressing shed for the first grade game. I got to sit out on the sideline and run the water out to the schoolboys comp and also for Queensland Cup. And it was a great experience. And I believe God gave me that experience because he knew that what it would mean to me. At the time, I was a school chaplain. Renee was a, was a, uh, uh, Childcare work, and we didn't have much money. So God said, hey, I love you. I want to give you an experience. One of my friends gave me tickets to State of Origin and let me stay at his house. Another time, I got to take Renee to State of Origin. And it was an amazing experience for her. I remember we were walking around. I wanted to show her the Caxton Street Hotel to show her where all the crazy people were when they used to throw beer cans at the Blues bus when they drove past. But the minute we got to Lang Park, we walked around to Wally Lawson's statue and said, can we go in, please? Because she was so excited to get into the ground. But we've got a father who wants to give you great experiences, who we can have access to any time we like, who's chosen us, who's adopted us, who's picked us out of the crowd. That gives me great confidence. I don't know about you, but the fact that I'm God's child can make me walk through my circumstances and my hardships and my hurts. Because God's my dad and he's not going to let me go. He's not going to leave me. The Bible says I'll never leave you nor forsake you because we're his kids. The fifth one is this, and I'm running out of time. You are loved. Ephesians 1.5 says these words. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. 
If I could get the band up on stage, please. I love that word beloved. It's, it's like the idea of a love story. Is that Romeo and Juliet? To be or not to be? You are my beloved. I'm not sure if they said that, but it sounds like it was something that'd say, You are my beloved. I didn't pay too much attention in school at Romeo, uh, what's it called? Shakespeare. But there's a great love story. It's a great love story between God and us. He loves you so much. One of my favorite shows is a, an, an, is a show called That 70s Show. I used to watch it. And there's this scene in there one time where Donna and Eric, Donna and Eric are sitting together and, and Donna says to Eric, for the first time, I love you. And Eric, the show just pauses. There's this, you know, that moment and it just, everything pauses. Like time is stands still as she's waiting for his response. And he says, I love cake. I remember when Renee and I were dating. And I said to Renee, I love you for the first time. And she said, thank you. <laughs> now, now it's not all her fault. Three weeks in is a bit early. Three weeks is probably a bit too early to go for that one. Probably should have waited a couple of months or something like that before I said that. The cool thing about God is... When we say, I love you to him, his answer is always back, I love you. In fact, it's the other way around. He's always the one who says to us first, I love you. And then he waits for the response back. But it's not awkward for him. It's not like he's hanging there and if we don't say, I love you back, he goes, well, that's it, I'm not saying it again. He keeps saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And he's waiting for our heart to respond back and say, I love love you. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we find ourselves, there's that voice from God saying, I love you. The story in the Bible of Hosea and Goma, it's a great love story. It starts out, God says to Hosea, who's a prophet in Israel, he says, I want you to marry a prostitute. He marries the prostitute, brings her in. Now, if the story stopped there, what a great love story. In that moment, what's happening is a man with great standing has chosen to marry a lady whose life is probably messed up and broken and, and everything's been going wrong. Now she has hope. Now she's got a future because there's now money coming into her thing. She doesn't have to do that anymore. But that's not where it stops. What happens is she goes back to her old lifestyle. But God says to Jose, he says, no, I want you to love her and stay married to her. I want you to call her back in. And that's the picture of God. No matter how far we go away, no matter what we do, he's always saying, I love you, and he wants us to come back in. He goes out looking for us. The story of the lost sheep, 99 are with him, but one walks away. What's he do? He leaves the 99, and he goes out looking for that one, and he brings it back. What a God we serve. A God that loves us. Someone said to me recently, they said, Jason, you haven't shared any messages with movie stories in it for a while, so I'm going to share one right now. One of my favorite movies, franchises, is The Terminator. Terminator is pretty cool. The first movie, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger is the bad guy. And he comes in and he knocks on, so he goes and he's looking for Sarah Connor because what he's trying to do is he's trying to kill John Connor because John Connor's the reason why Skynet failed in the future. They decide, you know what, maybe if we can go back to the past, we can shoot Sarah Connor before John's ever born and we will win. So that what they do, they, they go back into the past. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, the, T1, the T-100, he's knocking on doors and he's going, Sarah Connor. And when she says yes, he shoots him. But at the same time, what John Connor's done, he's sent back Kyle Reese to the past to protect Sarah, who would later become John Connor's dad, makes no sense. And I've been trying to think about that when I walked my dog recently. And uh, so when the first time he sent her, was that, a, was that really his dad? Or is this just one big loop? I don't know. To which some people are saying, you've given it too much thought. But Arnold is the bad terminator. They're in the second one. Then in the second Terminator movie, what takes place is that they're sending another Terminator back from the future into the past, but this time with the same job, but instead of going for Sarah Connor, the bad Terminator, the T-1000, the liquid metal Terminator that can turn into other people, who can stab people with his arm and turns into knives, he's gone back and he's trying to kill John Connor as a teenager. You know what, this is our last chance to win in the future, so we're going to take him out. So John Connor says, this time I'm going to do something different. I won't send a person back. I'll send back a T-100 Terminator. So they send Arnold back again. This time he's a good guy and he's out there protecting John Connor and Sarah Connor. And there's this really cool line in the movie where Sarah goes, he was the best father he could ever have because he'd never stop until he was safe. See, in our life, the difference in our life and the difference with the Terminator was that John reprogrammed the Terminator's mind. So he went from being bad to being a good Terminator. His mission went from trying to kill John Connor to try and save John Connor. It's the same with our life. For us to know who we are, we have to change our mind. We have to change the way we see ourselves. That's the answer, reprogramming our mind. It says in Romans 12 two, write this down, it says, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Instead of thinking I'm hopeless, I'm useless, I'm not worth anything. No one will love me. No one cares for me. People are going to reject me. Start to say, God, I thank you that I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. I thank you, God, I'm chosen. I thank you, God, that I'm beloved. Thank you that I'm your child. And you know what? The way you see yourself will start to change. In my life, that's how I changed. I started getting up every morning. I say, God, I thank you. I thank you, God. Let me read them out. I thank you that I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. Thank you that I'm chosen. I thank you I'm holy and blameless. I'm your child and I'm beloved. Then the next morning I'd get up. I'm holy and blameless. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm chosen. I'm your child and I'm beloved. And then the next day I'd get up and I'd say the same thing when I got up. And when I felt voices come and tell me you're useless, you're hopeless, you'll never amount to what God's called you to be, I say, God, I thank you that I'm holy and blameless. I thank you, Lord God, that I'm chosen. I thank you, God, that 
I'm your child. When you look down at me, you see someone who is as much as your child as Jesus was. Thank you that I'm loved. I thank you so much for everything you've done for me. Today, let's all stand. And I could, we could just get people up here to pray. But that's not what this message is. Because we can come up, we can pray for people. And they get breakthrough. But you've got to reprogram your mind. You've got to let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God change the way you think. Get the Bible. Read it and learn it and go over it again and again and again. Who God says you are. Not who other people have said you are. Not what your pastor said you are. Not your pastor, your past has said you are. But who God says you are. Thank you for tuning in to Bowen Christian Family Centre's podcast channel. For any more information on our church, the preaching, or Jesus and Christianity, feel free to check out our church website, www.withsundayacc.com.au.